I, I think one of the, the temptations that, that we face at the moment in the, uh, yeah, in the light of what's happening in Ukraine is, well, what's the point? What's the point? What, what, what's the point of being in church? What's the point of listening to a talk or, or worshipping and singing some songs? It, it's all irrelevant, isn't it? And I think we have to resist that temptation because if you think how we are hurting, all the people that we are with, our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues, they're all hurting too. They're all hurting. And in many ways, their hurt is greater because they don't have a hope. And I think it's really important at this time that we think very carefully, how can I be a bringer of hope in my situation? Or, or even as, as, as Bella was saying, just someone to listen. Yeah, maybe we don't need answers. I think at some point we do need to address as a church this issue of do we have answers or don't we have answers? Because we seem to have done a bit of a U-turn in the last 20 years. But at least we're there to listen, we're there to hear. And so I just want to encourage you all this morning, don't, don't give in to that temptation. Don't think it's all, all a bit pointless. Um, we're talking today about, about being transformed. We're talking about discipleship. We are carrying on with the scriptures from the Gospel of Matthew. And my theme this morning is old and new wineskins. And I was just talking briefly with Paul before the meeting, and it got me thinking, what is, what's a good analogy today? And I thought, imagine this, imagine this. I put on this desk an old 33 RPM turntable. Remember a turntable, yeah? Set it up, plug it in, get the speakers going. And then I produce a CD and I put it on and put the needle on it. Ridiculous, I hear you say. Ridiculous, what a nonsense. What's it going to do? Well, it's going to chew up the CD, it's going to destroy the needle and we're not going to hear anything, are we? That's what Jesus was talking about. An approach to life today that uses what we used to do. It just doesn't work. And it's a nonsense. And we talk about old wineskins and new wineskins, and it's a sort of, it's like a picture, but think of it as a, a CD on a turntable, and maybe that'll help us. So that's where we're going this morning. Well, I think it's where we're going. Whether it's where we'll end up remains to be seen. But as, as you all know, I like a context. I've said before that a text without a context is a, a pretext. Where were we last week? Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount finishes, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then Jesus, and with that, he came down the mountain. Now, call me old-fashioned, but I have a suspicion that chapter 7 comes immediately before chapter 8. And therefore when we get into chapter 8... There ought to be some sort of connection between the two. And I think the question that Matthew is asking here is, who is this everyone? Who is this everyone who can build their house on the rock? Who is it and who could it include? Well, Jesus starts by healing this leper. And Paul's encouragement, I looked at um, some podcasts um, under the subject of 
Exploring My Strange Bible by a guy called Tim Mackey. And I have to be honest with you, he is a bit slow. The podcast lasts an hour, and I reckon there's 15 minutes of good material in it. But it's worth persevering. It really is worth persevering. What he has to say about this leper is really, really significant. I'll leave that for you to pursue on your own. But what's the point of this? Point of it, under the old gramophone setup, the old wineskin, leper had no place to be in everyone. He was a no one. And Jesus says, actually, do you know what? I'm bringing a different message. You thought he was a no one. I'm telling you, he's an everyone. A centurion. Well, he was definitely a no one. Why? He was a Roman. Out. Leper. Out. Mother-in-law. Out. Yeah? There's no place for women in the kingdom of God. What was the Jews' prayer every morning? I thank God that I'm not a woman or a Gentile. Yeah? No place for women. Uh, It's hard for us to realise when we read these scriptures in Matthew 8 how radical Jesus was being. And he was saying that everyone who you thought was out, I'm telling you, they're in. They're in. An ex-demoniac. Not a chance. Not a chance. In Matthew's account, there's only one word spoken in that whole section, and that's the word go, that Jesus speaks to the demons. But read the similar passage in Mark, and you'll see, what does the demoniac do? He goes off and starts telling the good news about Jesus. Good news. He's in. All right. He's definitely in. An ex-paralytic. Not a chance. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't be anything for the kingdom. Jesus says he's in. The the Jewish mafia, uh, by which I mean the tax collectors. Yeah. If you thought the phrase deal with organized crime, get rid of the HMRC was a modern thing. No, it's an old, old thing. The tax collector He's the mafia. And Jesus says, you're in. Come and be part of my kingdom. So this everyone, sick woman, a dead girl, it just goes on and on and on. The point that Matthew is making is everyone actually means everyone. It means everyone. And it means every one of us. And the very things that we think exclude us from being part of this kingdom message are often the very things that mean we're in. We are included. You are included. The lies of the enemy that seek to distance us from this and put us to one side. We've got to break the lies and understand we're in. Everyone is in. Everyone is part of the everyone. So... Understanding this through old and new wineskins, one of the things that, this, that Mackie said that helped me is this idea. There are two ways that we can look at life and the church, and one of them is this bounded set. Okay, this is, this is really clear. Perhaps I'll try the other side. Really black and white. Everybody knows who's in and who's out yeah it's lovely it those of us who who like a structured approach to life it's beautiful it is beautiful you're in you're out you're in you're out 
Oh, no, sorry, you're in. I forgot. Sorry, yeah. What we confess or believe defines are we in or are we out? It, it's very simple. And church has unfortunately followed this tradition for thousands of years. I say to my shame, church has used this to control people. Control people in order to build our own empires and our own denominations. We've built creeds. Isn't it fascinating that the churches have had such an emphasis on creeds? I don't find that in the scripture. I don't find in the scripture, Jesus said, now this is the creed. If you believe in God the Father who made the earth and you believe in God his Son and you believe in this who died and was rose again, all that stuff, you're in. Now, I, I, unfortunately, I don't see Jesus saying that. I don't see Jesus saying that. He says, come follow me. Come follow me. But the church has built creeds and built walls to define who's in, who's out, who pays us their tithe, who pays someone else their tithe, where, where is it? We control people with it. And it's, it's just bad. It's just bad. And my last point here is that if we do look beyond our set, we have this idea that if I'm really careful, I can rush out of where I'm safe, find someone outside, drag them back in, and then we'll all be safe again. Yeah? So it's this, it's this mentality which Mackie likens to a Western-style horse corral. So if you can see that, this is a great way of keeping horses safe. You build a fence, you put the horses inside the fence, the horses can't get in, and the rustlers, sorry, the horses can't get out, and the rustlers can't get in. It's a very safe situation. And there's all sorts of parallels that we can draw between that and church. Old wineskin or new wineskin? Old wineskin. Old wineskin. This is, this is the Jewish Torah. This is the law. And if you keep the law, you're in. And if you don't keep the law, you're out. Very, very simple. Very straightforward. However, there is another way of looking at things. And this is what Mackie calls a centred set. So here you can see what matters is the goals and priorities that we share. You see, there are no walls to this set. I tell you, it's really messy. It's really messy. Because we don't know who's in and who's out anymore. We don't know. And in fact, some of us are at the moment on our way closer to the centre, we are pursuing a stronger relationship with Jesus. Others, we're on the other way. We're on the... But does that mean we're out? No, it doesn't mean we're out. It just means that our direction is different. And at any point, we could be coming or going in different directions. If we were able to see this group of people gathered here this morning, it'd be fascinating seeing which way we're going, where our arrows are, who we're walking with, who we're sharing our lives with, whose vision we're sharing. It'd be a complete mess. But this is the new wineskin. This is New Covenant Church. And we respond to others as we identify the common path that we're travelling. I love what Ness was just saying because she mentioned a couple of partnerships yeah? And I think some of us will be quite surprised at the partnerships that we, as church, nationally, are now pursuing. 
We're walking with people we would not have walked with before. Why? Because we share a common goal. Because we want to see society touched, transformed and changed by the gospel and the good news that we carry. Whether that is preaching the gospel or producing a food parcel. It makes no difference. And this, this is very hard to control. <laughs> and that's why church has shied away from a centred set model. We don't know who's in. We don't know who should be paying their tithes. We can't control it. But I tell you, there's a whole lot more life going on here and a whole lot more kingdom being shared. And I believe this is the new wineskin that Jesus was talking about. We don't look outside the set. Our question ceases to be who's in and who's out. The question is, who can I walk with on this journey? Who can I find and I can align my goal with theirs and say, I'm coming with you. We're going to serve together. You see, if we limit our opportunities to serve to, to what's happening here in River Church Marlow, that's quite, it's quite limited. Yeah? But if we look wider than that, there's no limit. Whatever it is that you feel God has put on your heart to do, I can guarantee you can find someone else doing it. Now, they may not have a River Church label on them. They may not even be part of a pioneer church or even a Christian tradition. But if they're touching society and bringing good news, then let's get alongside them. Let's find someone doing that and walk with them. Now, he, he used this idea of the, um, the waterhole in the African grassland as an example, which, which is all right. But what I preferred when I was listening to Tim Mackey was he said, <clears throat> who, who here is musical? If I asked that question, you know, a lot of people would raise their hands and say, yeah, I, I can play a tune, I can hold a tune or whatever. What if I said, who is a musician? And suddenly our thinking is bounded set. What makes a musician different from someone who's musical? And someone would say, well, I'm, I'm not a professional musician. I don't get paid, so I'm not a musician. And others would say, well, I used to be a musician. 20 years ago, I, I had an album and I'm still living on the fumes of that goodness. But actually, I haven't picked up a guitar in 10 years. So does a historical musician make you still a musician? What if you're a 13-year-old who can play three chords on your guitar, but you are so passionate about it? that you just strum all day long. See, there's all sorts of ways that we can define what is a musician. But if we come up with a definition, you're in, you're out, I think we've missed it. I think we've missed it. What matters is, what direction are we going? What is our passion? What are the things that really motivate us inside? So, just a few, trying to look at some examples of the new wineskin from the chapter I'm supposed to be talking about. Um, no exclusions. No exclusions. The new wineskin says everybody's in. Everybody's in. We can choose what we do with that. Jesus was asked about fasting. And he says a very interesting thing here. He says the guests of the bridegroom don't fast. They feast, they celebrate, but when he's gone, they will fast. And what did fasting mean to a first century Jew? 
well, it was part of your tick in the box to make sure you were in. And it was a regular thing. I think it maybe it was one day a week or it was traditional, regular fasting. Why did you do it? Because that was the law. Jesus said, I'm talking about something radically different here. I'm talking about people fasting because they're yearning for more of God. They want more of his presence. They want to draw closer to him. Are they doing it once a week? Who knows? Are they fasting food? Are they fasting something else? There's all sorts of possibilities, as you know, from what we've done on Holy Habits. But what is the attitude behind it? What is the attitude? The attitude is, I'm yearning for more of the bridegroom. I want more of him. So it's just one example that Jesus picks here that I think is, is quite a clear example of the difference. Old covenant, new covenant. A doctor for the sick. Yeah, bounded set, fantastic. We're here for each other. We're here to make sure that we're okay. We're here to serve everybody who's within the circle. Centered set, we're going off after the sick, aren't we? It's not the sick Sorry, it's not the health you need a doctor, Jesus said. It's the sick. And that seems quite straightforward to us and obvious, but it wasn't to a first century Jew. That was about a self-contained society. And Jesus said, I'm offering something radically different. The end of the law as guardian. The The Old Covenant is sometimes tricky to really understand what the role of the law is and how it works and is there still law or not. And one of the things that I came across was this scripture in Galatians where Paul says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. It's the first time I've seen this word translated custody I had a look at the Greek word, it only occurs once in the whole of the New Testament, so not a lot of help really, I might need to do some more on that. But the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So if you think of the bounded set, it was there to protect us. Now it's not clear to me whether Paul meant we were held in custody because we were awaiting trial, or this is a protective custody where the law was there to protect us, to show us how it was all going to work. But in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he goes on to say something that's very significant and comes right back to Matthew 8 and who is in everyone. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the old covenant was a set of rules and definitions that clearly showed us what was acceptable to God and what wasn't. It was never an attempt to bring us into that place of acceptance in God. But the new covenant, the centered set, breaks all that away. We don't need it anymore because in Christ we're one. In Christ we've found a new place to be, a new place of acceptance. And Jesus finishes this chapter with, I think, what is the biggest challenge of it all. He says, there's plenty of harvest, 
There's no problem. There's no problem with people waiting to be shown the goodness of the kingdom and to be brought into the goodness of God. But the workers are few. And sometimes the workers are few because we've said, oh, I can't do it. I'm, I'm not part of this. I don't fit the bill. I'm not bright. I'm not intelligent. I'm not gifted. I'm not compassionate. I'm all, I mean, we could list all the things we're not. I think we're all very good at that. But if we have a heart to be used by God and a heart to be part of his messy church, his kingdom that has no boundaries, the kingdom where you just don't know who's in and who's out anymore. If we are prepared to serve in that way, well, there's plenty of harvest. Last time I spoke, I brought that very simple message. We need to do what only we can do. It's the same message. It's the same message. We need to do what only we can do because we are not excluded, but we are part of this promise. So I've got a couple of questions for us this morning. The first question is, how have I counted myself out? How have I looked at what needs to be done and what I think is a suitable skill set and said, nah, I don't qualify. Secondly, where has this bounded set theology, this idea of in and out, the, the horse corral, where, how has this constricted me? How has this restricted my ability to serve or put another way, restricted the people that I think it's acceptable to work with. Maybe that's a better question. I really like what those people are doing, but they're not carrying my flag. They're not waving my banner. They're not part of River Church Marlowe, so probably can't really get involved with that. And that leads me to my third question. Who do I know who's on a similar journey that I can walk with? I can submit myself to, I can support, I can encourage, I can bring whatever it is that they bring. So those are my three questions, my challenges to you this morning. Fantastic. Yeah, give them a hand. That was really good, Nigel. Just, um...